This podcast is a presentation of Faith Assembly of God, where our mission is to connect people with Christ and to experience life. Get more information online at faithishere.org and join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 11 a.m. Thank you for making this podcast a part of your week. Powerful. Thank you, kids. That was wonderful, wonderful. They're going to be on the float today on the Somerville Parade. We have a WLCN TV has a float, and that's at 215 on Main Street. And so many of the kids will be singing on that float as well as it goes down town today. Thank you, gentlemen. Take your Bibles out and turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Great to have our kids in here this morning with us as well. They're usually in children's church. Wonderful at times to come and celebrate with the entire family, worshiping the Lord together, thanking God. Luke chapter 2, verse number 1. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word today. It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from the world, from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be registered. This census was first took place when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the end. Father, right now, we thank you for your word. We pray that you will open up our hearts today, that we'll receive what you have for us. I pray, God, that we will accept your son joyful acceptance and worship and praise and adoration because you've come for us. We bless you today. May this word penetrate our hearts. We ask it in your mighty name. Amen. Turn around, tell someone they look great, wish them a Merry Christmas, and then you may be seated. Sometimes I get the feeling that in America today, Christmas is kind of like throwing a big party and uh, we get the caterer to come and bring all the food. We spend all the time getting the decorations ready. We get all the gifts ready. We get ready to celebrate, ready to have fun. We invite all the guests to come in and join in on this big surprise party, this big surprise celebration, only to get everyone together, everyone in the house, everyone in the room, the banquet hall, whatever the case may be. And you look around and you notice that somehow the guest of honor is not there. In fact, when you sent out the invitation, you start asking one another, did, did you invite them? Did you invite them? Did you tell them about you? And, and you got everybody gathered together, but the only person that did not get invited was the guest of honor. And I kind of feel like sometimes in America, that's the way Christmas is. 
We spend this month-long time in preparation. We get the decorations out. We buy the gifts. We get all excited. We eat all this food, and the family's coming in. It's a great, great big party. But I wonder, have we ever really invited the guest of honor, the one whose birthday we celebrate, to be a part of it? Is he welcome in your house? Is he welcome in your life? And then we go back and we look at that first birthday celebration 2,000 years ago. And, and it's interesting as you look at the responses of the different scenes are played out surrounding the Christmas story. And I believe those responses that you see then are not too different than the responses that we see today in America all around us. The first response I want you to look at is the response of the innkeeper. And I think if there's one word that would characterize the response of the innkeeper would be preoccupation. Preoccupation. Now, let me ask you a quick quiz question. How many times is the innkeeper mentioned in the word of God? Never. He's not even talked about in scripture. He's not even listed in the word of God. And yet I think because we assume there was an inn uh, and the Bible says they made their way to the inn, uh, there must by logic be an innkeeper. And so even though he is not named, uh, we, we refer to the innkeeper in the inn at the time of the birth of Jesus Christ. Zig Ziglar tells a story when, about a true story when his brother was traveling on the road and he came to a hotel and he asked the guy at the hotel for a room. And the manager looked back and he said, I'm sorry, sir, the motel is booked for the night. We are totally full. There are absolutely no more rooms in, in the motel tonight. And the man thought for a minute. He said, now, be honest with me. If the president of the United States walked through that door right now and requested a room, would you find a place for him to stay? The man said, well, you know, if it was the president... I'm sure we'd find a room for him somehow. We'd make a place, we'd find a room for him. The man looked back and said, that's great. I know for a fact he's not coming. I'll take his room. <laughs> Sometimes you wonder if Mary and Joseph had been a little bit more influential, had had a little bit more clout, possibly a room could have been found for them as well. But because they were just common people, because they were peasants, because he was a carpenter in training, they had no place to stay. There was no room for them anywhere. But because of the tenacity of Joseph and perhaps the compassion of the innkeeper, they were offered a stable in the back, somewhere out back where the animals are kept, where they are fed, where they're cared for. Now, when you look down in history and you see all the little Christmas pageants and the plays and the innkeepers mentioned throughout history, he's either uh, depicted in one of two ways. One, he's depicted as the villain, the grumpy old man who slams the door in the face of Mary and Joseph and says, there's no room, get out of here, get out of my face. The other depiction is that of a kind-hearted, gentle man who is simply the victim of circumstances beyond his control. Now, I don't know how you want to envision this innkeeper. We really don't know from Scripture what he might have been like. But one thing is very clear. This innkeeper was preoccupied. You see, never had he been so busy. Never had the inn been, been so full. Never had the demands on his time been so great. 
because of the census, there were people that were coming in from all over to that town of Bethlehem to register for the census. Never had he had so many guests that he had to take care of uh, and look after and make sure everything was arranged and lined up for them. Uh, And for him, never had he had a chance to make more money. It was a time of profit. It was a time of making money. And he would take every advantage of the census that he possibly could. Uh, First of all, he was a businessman. I want to tell you, it sounds a little bit like our commercialism today. I, I, I'm not crazy about shopping anytime. My least favorite is Christmas when you go out and you fight the crowds and you're going through the malls and the traffic is everywhere and you wait behind these drivers and it's just nuts. And you lose all your Christmas joy before you even get to the mall. And the commercialism is crazy and and, and so if, you, uh, if, if you're involved in a business, you've got to stay open late at nights and you're, you're running morning, noon, and night and you're waiting on cranky customers and on and on it goes. It is such a busy time. Uh, and if we are not careful, we can fall into the same trap the innkeeper was into. Uh, we are so busy, we lose our focus. We lose our focus. Other things begin to take first place. Other things begin to crowd Jesus Christ out. It's not that we don't love him. It's not that we don't care about the Christmas story. It's not that we're not into Jesus. It's just he gets pushed out of our mind, pushed out of our consciousness because there is so much other stuff going on all around us. There's no more room left for him in our hearts and our lives. And so the challenge for us today is to refocus, uh, to make sure that Christ is going to be first, uh, to make sure we're wondering, know why we're celebrating this time of the year. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Put him first in your life. Uh, let him have preeminence in your heart and life to follow and serve him. Don't be preoccupied. Second, I want you to notice the response of the shepherds. Turn, keep in, stay in Luke chapter 2 and jump down to verse number 15. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has been made, which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told uh, them by the shepherds. And Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her hearts. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Second response is that of joyful acceptance. Joyful acceptance. Now, the shepherds are considered the lowest of the low. They're the low class in Israel at this time. Their jobs were dirty. They would spend weeks away from their homes and from their families. They would live out in the wilderness with the sheep day after day as they took care of them. Uh, And yet you see God reaches across the barriers of society. And he says, I want them to be the very first to know. I want them to be the very first to hear that today, this day is born in the city of David, a a savior. I want the shepherds uh, to hear the good news first. 
And as you look at the shepherds, they respond with joyful acceptance. And they say, let's go to Bethlehem. Uh, Let's see this thing that has now come to pass. And so they make their way down to the manger. Uh, But I want to tell you, when you get good, joyful, exciting news, uh, it's too good to keep inside. Don't let it stop there with your acceptance. But let there be such a joyful response that I've got to tell everybody the good news. Jesus Christ has come. And you jump down to verse number 17 and it says, And they made wisely, widely known the saying concerning this child. Uh, Jesus Christ has come. Uh, he's coming to earth for us. Uh, he gave his life for me. Uh, and you can know him uh, and you can receive him today. Uh, and so let your response be like that of the shepherds. Uh, Jesus has come. Uh, let's go down and see. Uh, let's go worship him. Uh, let's find him. Uh, let's discover him for ourselves. And then don't let it stop there. Tell everybody you see the good news. Jesus has come for you. Take a look at the video clip. It's going to show you a little bit of the response of the shepherds. Few would have considered it a silent night, a holy night. Travelers jostled in the city gates. Weary fists pounded on closed doors, pleading on the outside arguing from within, all to the same refrain, no room. Among the houses rang raucous Roman laughter, census takers with comfortable quarters, and plenty of food and wine. There is little peace and less goodwill between stranger and villager here. Somewhere a dog barked, a lamb bleated, a woman moaned, and a baby cried. Out on the hillsides, Exposed to the cold night, without even a stable for warmth, shepherds huddled around the fire, guarding their flocks against thieves and wolves. Suddenly, a light to split the darkness, a voice, a song, a chorus of angels. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a child. A son, a shepherd, a king, a savior, which is Christ the Lord. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace and goodwill to men. Awaken, O little town that cannot sleep. Hear the shepherd's words. The angel's message. to a sound unfamiliar the triumph of joy joyful acceptance it can be our only response Jesus Christ has come That ought to excite you more than anything else, more than the presents, more than family, more than the trees, more than the decorations, more than the lights, more than the kids, more than anything else. Jesus Christ has come. Joyful acceptance. But once you come to that realization, don't let it stop there. Go and proclaim widely the good news. The Lord has come. Pass it on because there are so many around you that don't have that same joy today. Let them know that Jesus Christ is 
the answer. Response of the shepherds. Third, I want you to notice the response of King Herod. His response was one of fear, one of paranoia. As you look throughout, we traveled throughout Israel, and we would see these different places where Herod had built these massive palaces and fortresses. He had palaces located throughout all of Israel, not just in Jerusalem. He had one in Caesarea where he established a big palace so he could see all the ships coming in from sea. Uh, One of his most famous palaces was on Masada. He built a palace on top of a mountain with the wall all the way around it, had the water brought up. It was an incredible, massive palace fortress built by the king. In case anything ever happened to Jerusalem, he could always flee north to Masada and he could stay there in that palace. Massive fortress. He was so paranoid uh, that history tells us that he killed his favorite wife because he was afraid she might be taken over and killed her three sons. Just a, just a crazy, nutty king. Look what it says about him. Turn to Matthew chapter 2. Look at verse number 1. In those days, and now, now after Jesus was born, verse 1, in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men from the east came to him, to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Jump down to verse 7. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Jump down to verse number 12. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Jump down to verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were born in Bethlehem in all its districts from two years of old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. When you think about King Herod and you think about his response to the birth of Jesus Christ, the word that comes to mind is fear. He's afraid somehow that even though he's the king, uh, even though a new baby is going to be born, uh, that somehow because of this new baby, uh, his life might be altered in some way. Uh, His kingship might be deposed of. Uh, He might lose his authority. He might lose his power. So he responds out of fear. Take a look at this video clip, and I think you'll get a glimpse of Herod's response.
It was what the prophet Micah would call the least among the clans of Judah, south of Jerusalem, west of the Salt Sea. Heads of wheat bowed to the blades of harvest, grapes glistened in the afternoon sun, sheep stumbled along the stony high grounds. Here Jacob would gain a son and bury his beloved Rachel. Ruth would find refuge in the barley fields. Samuel would find a king among the shepherds. Shepherds would find a king among the sheep. Soon the tramp of soldiers' feet would fill the silence. Mothers would mourn the lost sons of Bethlehem. The holiness of one night in the little town would be stolen by the sword. But all was not lost. One would survive. Like Ruth, he would wander without a home. Like Boaz, he would provide bread for those in need. Like David, he would come from a humble beginning. Like the children who were lost, he would be pierced by a sword. And through the innocence of his death, this son of Bethlehem would become our peace. See, today it's possible to look at Jesus and be intimidated, intimidated by him. You see, if you got to ask yourself the question, if, if I allow Jesus to become the Lord of my life, if I really crown him as king and Lord, I can no longer just play the Christian game. I can no longer just go through the motions of Christianity and church and everything else that surrounds that. You've got to ask yourself the question today, if I really put him as Lord in my life, what difference will he make? What difference does Jesus Christ make? I want to tell you, he changes everything. He changes the way we think. He changes the way we talk. He changes the way we respond to one another. Jesus Christ changes everything. And so there may be some here this morning, uh, you respond in fear to the news of Christmas. uh, And you're in fear here this morning. uh, And you're thinking about it. And you're saying, you know what? If I receive Jesus, maybe I won't be able to party like I'm doing now. Maybe I'll have to stop doing some of the things I'm doing in my life right now. Maybe I'll have to become more generous with my possessions because all of a sudden, uh, if I come to the lordship of Jesus Christ, uh, I also have to come to the realship Christ owns everything. And I've got to become more generous. Maybe if I give my heart to the Lord, they're going to ask me to serve in ministry or serve in the church or, or get involved in reaching out and touching other people. And I'm not sure I can do that. And I'm not ready for all of these changes. Uh, and so like Herod, uh, we give into our fears and our paranoia. Because I will tell you, if you accept the premise that Jesus Christ, that person that was born in the manger, uh, came like the prophets predicted, uh, that he would be, the government would be upon his shoulders, uh, and he would be king of kings and lord of lords, uh, there can be no other response uh, but total acceptance of him and giving control of our life over to him. And yet there are some that are afraid. I can't do that. I'll lose control. I'll lose power, I'll lose authority. And you respond in some emotional way, just like King Herod did. The third response, I 
want you to notice that from the word of God is that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Look again at Matthew chapter 2. I believe their response was one of pride. Pride. Look at verse number 4. And when he had gathered all the chief priests, this is talking about Herod, and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And so they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now it's interesting when Herod gets the scribes and he gets the Pharisees together and he brings them in for a consultation. They knew already from the prophets where the Savior would be born. And they said it's going to happen in Bethlehem. That's where it's going to take place. The prophets said it would happen there. Now when these wise men showed up and they appeared before King Herod, isn't it surprising to you that the scribes and Pharisees didn't turn to the wise men and say, you know what? We're going to travel with you. We want to come see this thing for ourselves. The prophets had talked about it. You saw the star. Maybe the Messiah really has come. Maybe he's been born among us this day. Let's travel down and go with you. Why didn't the scribes and the Pharisees go? I believe the one thing that kept them all the way throughout the life of Jesus Christ from coming into the kingdom was their pride. Was their pride. They didn't want to admit that the wise men uh, might know first that Jesus Christ was coming. That somehow they knew more than they did about the birth of this king. Spiritual pride. You see, if anything new happened, uh, the Pharisees thought they would be the first to know. They'd be the first to hear about it. Responding in pride. You know, Christmas is hard for the proud. It's hard to, it's, if you're prideful today, if you have pride in your life in any way, it's, it's hard to handle Christmas. And what happens is we begin to think in our own mind that I have so much, uh, that I have worked so hard, uh, that I've earned this, I've paid for my car, I've bought my house, uh, I've got my money, everything's going along pretty smoothly in life. Uh, I really don't need anybody else. I'm doing just fine. And as long as you have that kind of pride, it will keep you from coming to Jesus. As long as you think you can make it on your own, uh, you're tough out there, you'll survive, uh, you're doing quite well without him, you will never come to the Lord Jesus Christ. But I will tell you, the Bible warns that pride goeth before the fall. And as long as there are pride in our lives, and we think we can handle life well enough by ourselves. You will never know the real miracle of Christmas. You'll never understand it. You'll never receive it. You'll never come into the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll never accept him and his premises. You'll never receive the Lord Jesus Christ because you think you can make it on your own. But the Bible says there is only one way to come before the Lord today, and that is humility. It's to say, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. I know I can't make it on my own. Recognizing our own need. Then you can say, Jesus, I need you. I can't save myself. I can't make it on my own. Uh, I know I'm a sinner. Uh, Come into my life. Uh, And when you do that, uh, then you can discover what Christmas really is all about. 
as long as you respond like the scribes and Pharisees, prideful, you'll never make it down there and you'll never find the Lord Jesus Christ. The fifth response is that of the wise men. Look, if you would, at Matthew 2 and verse number 9. And when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child and Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What is the only response? It's to rejoice. It's to fall down. It's to worship the Lord. It's to bring our gifts. It's to pay him honor and homage in our life. You see, once you reach the conclusion that Jesus Christ really is the Son of God, the only response is worship. I've got to worship him. The only response is to bring our gifts to him and say, God, everything I have, uh, everything I am, it belongs to you. Uh, the only response is to express our adoration uh, and our love uh, and our thankfulness. Uh, you see, you begin to understand it dawns on you. For God so loved the world that he gave. How can I respond to that? Uh, the only thing I can do is give myself back to him. God, I give you my life and my all as an expression of my worship. Uh, you realize how much God loves you today? You know how much he cares for you today? His love was communicated through the birth of a baby in Bethlehem. And it started in a wooden manger where Christ was born. But we see his love in an entirely greater dimension uh, when 33 years later uh, he would hang on a wooden cross uh, and his blood would be spilt uh, and his life would be given that we might have everlasting life. Uh, that's how much God loves you. That's how much he loves me. That, my friends, is incredible. Behold, a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. How are you going to respond? How are you going to respond to Christmas, to this baby that was born? Are you going to be too busy, too preoccupied, too doing your own thing that you'll miss it? Are you going to be paranoid? If I give my life to him, what am I going to have to give up? What will I have to surrender? I don't know if I want to make that commitment or that step or not. Are you going to be filled with pride? I don't need the Lord. I don't need anything else. Uh, I've got everything going my way. Uh, why do I need to worship the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you going to respond with joyful acceptance and worship today? You've got a choice to make this morning. How will you respond? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Got a wonderful congregation here this morning. Some of you may be visiting today. You thought you'd come watch your grandkids sing some songs. Maybe watch your son or your daughter singing the Christmas music. They did a wonderful job, and I know you were proud of them. But listen, I believe God has you here for a higher purpose. And a higher reason. 
and that's to hear the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. The good news that the kids sang about, the good news that I preached about, but it's to hear the message. Jesus Christ loves you, and he came for you. Now, how are you going to respond today? How are you going to respond? You can accept him. You can come down and worship him. You can receive him, and he can be your Lord and your Savior today. There's got to be that moment of decision. Every head is bowed, every eye closed. Father, right now, I pray for every single person in the building today. I thank you, God, that you love them so much that you came for them. You gave your life for them. We might have everlasting life. Thank you for your incredible love for us. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, deal with their hearts. Knock down the pride. Knock down the barriers. Knock down those things that crowd you out. Wipe away the fear with your perfect love and peace today, I pray. Thank you, Jesus. While your heads are bowed or eyes closed, if you're here today and say, you know what, I need Jesus Christ in my life. I'm ready to receive him as my Lord and Savior. I want you to raise your hand right now all over this building. I need Jesus. Yes, ma'am. God bless you. Thank you so much. If there's someone else, you'd say, pray for me. I need Jesus today. Just slip your hand up for just a moment. We want to pray for you today. Yes, God bless you, sir. Thank you so much. You may slip your hand down. If there's somebody else, you'd say, pray for me. I need Jesus in my life. Yes, thank you. Slip your hand down. Is there anyone else? You'd say, I need the Lord in my life. I'm ready to receive him. Just slip your hand up for just a moment. Say, I need Jesus Christ. I'm ready to receive him today. I look in the balcony. Is there anyone else in the balcony? You'd say, I need the Lord. I'm ready to receive him into my heart, into my life today. Slip your hand up for just a moment. I wonder who to pray for this morning. This can be the greatest Christmas of your entire life when you invite Jesus Christ to come in. Slip your hand up for just a moment all over this building. Is there anyone else? You'd say, I need Christ in my life. Pray for me. Thank you so much. Yes, anyone else? Anyone else? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's stand together right now, everyone standing. Thank you, Lord. This podcast has been a presentation of Faith Assembly, where our mission is to connect people with Christ and to experience life. Thank you for listening this week.